Today's episode of The Rise to Top with Robert Green is sponsored by our good friends and brought to you with no interruptions thanks to GoToMeeting. Now, one of the best features that you could check out with GoToMeeting is the face-to-face option. So turn on the webcam. You can actually see everyone that you're meeting with, which is freaking sweet. Try it out free on me. All you have to do is head over to GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button. You're going to see a little spot to put in a promo code. Put in the promo code RISE for 45 days free on me and I would enjoy today's episode. All right, and welcome everyone to the Rise to the Top. I'm David Seitman Garland, joined today by this handsome gentleman. It's Robert Green. He is the author of several international best-selling and renowned books, including his new book, which of course will be a bestseller, Mastery, um, 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, uh, The 50th Law, which was a collaboration with him and hip-hop artist 50 Cent. And I am very excited to have him on today. Robert, welcome to the Rise to the Top. Thank you for having me, David. My pleasure. And so, new book is great, and really the big topic in here is that we as humans are hardwired for achievement and supremacy and mastering things. Um, Why is this a topic that you're so passionate about? Well, I've been, you know, starting in 1996, I began work on the 48 Laws of Power, and exclusively for virtually 16 years I've been immersed in that subject reading about Napoleon, Louis XIV, Machiavelli, Talleyrand, Henry Kissinger, you name it. And um, I kind of came to the conclusion about three or four years ago that there was this pattern, there was this common trait that they all had. They had developed this what I call a superior form of intelligence in which the feel that they're involved in, they have like a fingertip feel, an intuitive grasp of that field. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte sort of exemplifies it, but I found it in all of these people. Mm. And we generally have the concept in our culture that people who are geniuses, who are high achievers, it's almost like they're genetically predisposed. They have a larger brain or they're just naturally gifted. And all of my research just really exploded that kind of silly irritating, annoying myth that people have. And really, I found in all my research that what distinguished people is the level of effort and desire that they bring to the subject, that if they're connected to it, if they love it, then they're able to learn faster, with more intensity, they practice harder, and they develop skills in a short time frame that makes them seem awesome and extraordinary, but it comes through a process. So I got very excited about this, and I wanted to share it with people because we live in a time now that's not what it was 200 years ago, where in order to follow what you really wanted to follow, you had to be really lucky. Now it's pretty much the political and social barriers that could keep people from following what I call their calling have gone away. And so we now have this incredible opportunity if we know about this process, if we can debunk these silly myths about genius. And um, I just really wanted to share with people that that kind of truth because I feel like we still have this old-fashioned notions of, of elitism and genius that, that, that irritate me. Yeah, it, it, and there's a lot of great subjects to go into uh, involving this this concept of mastery. The first one, and I, I, I find this to be a very important one, especially for our community, because a lot of people come to me and they're, and they're struggling with that discovery phase. They haven't discovered quite yet that they're 
essentially destined to be the natural food chef or the, you know, bodybuilding champion or the, uh, right. the master of basketball. I don't know what it is, whatever it might be. Tell us a little bit about what you've uncovered about that discovery phase and, and whether that applies to historical figures or how you discovered your own, uh, you know, calling in life. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's it's a process uh, that takes years and, and it can follow different routes. So there are different types of people that become masters. It all begins, though, the same way. It all begins with this one basic fact that you have to kind of chisel into your brain. And that is that everybody, every human is born unique. Your DNA will never, ha never has happened in, in the past will never occur again. You are, you are unique and the experiences you have as you grow up make you even more unique. And when you're very young, you become aware of this by certain things that attract you. And it can be very simple. It can be certain activities related to perhaps sports or, or, or movement or dance or whatever. It can be visual things and patterns or mathematics or music, whatever. We all have that in childhood. For me, I was sort of drawn to books and reading about history at a very, very early age, and that kind of led into desires to write. What happens is, is I call that like a voice that's inside of you. It's, it's calling you, the word call, vocation, to a particular activity that suits you and your uniqueness. What happens is that voice slowly gets drowned out. Your parents start saying, David, I want you to go to law school, I want you to become a doctor. You, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. Your friends are all talking about starting a rock band, even though you, maybe you have no musical talent at all. And, you, and the voice starts slowly getting drowned out. And you, you don't, you know, you'll be 20 years old and it's very faint and it's weak. So it's a matter of reconnecting with it and knowing, you know it because you know what subjects excite you, where you get your curiosity levels are high. You know it by things that bore you to death that you have zero interest in. And so it's a zigzagging process. It's never a straight line. Ah, I was born to write, and at 18, I just go into a career. No, it never happens that way. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have moments where you lose it. You do go to law school, or you do go into something that's unrelated. You're unhappy. You find your way back. Usually by your late 20s or early 30s, you figure it out. And the main thing, the key to the whole the whole game of mastery and power in the world today is to, in your 20s, to be building up skills in areas that interest and excite you. I have in the book the story of Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator, incredible genius and master, one of the people I interviewed. Yep. He, 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 kept, he, through his 20s, was kind of a bit of a lost soul. He went into computers and artificial intelligence and computer engineering and software design. Then he gave that up and became an artist and a painter and went to Italy. Then finally, when the moment arrived where he was given a chance to do something, which was start up a, an internet business, which was later became ViaWeb, all the skills that he had developed, now he could exploit to their fullest and do something that really excited him. So you want to be accumulating skills in things that you love. You don't have to commit when you're 23 to a definite career path. In fact, maybe it's often better in this world not to. But it'll come to you as long as you're channeling that natural excitement and interest you have 
in the right direction and you're not going to law school when you really love want to be a writer. Interesting. I actually had that exact example happen to me with law school. That's a whole other story. I did not go to law school, and that is good. Um, but uh, that, that being said, um, very interesting points here about uh, sort of dis that discovery phase. And I think some people, and tell me if this is a myth or if this is something that you think is, is somewhat right on, is that I think it's a myth that there's that just that one moment. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, you know what? Oh, I'm destined to do right. this for the rest of my life or, what, or whatever or become the master in this. It seems like it's more like connecting the dots, going backwards, going here, sideways, up, down, and then sort of it all leads down this weird fuzzy path. Is that kind of more on track of what, what you've uncovered here? Well, there are people that might have that epiphany, that epiphany about their career path. That happens. Um, I know that I was given a moment – where I had been a writer for many years, but I couldn't quite find the right niche. I was writing journalism in Hollywood. And then I met a man in Italy who asked me if I had any ideas for books. And that was kind of a moment where it all sort of clicked. And I discovered that this was the right avenue to explore. But essentially, you're right. Um, it's much fuzzier than that. Um, I talk in the book, Bringing Back Paul Graham, I think it's sort of almost like a hacker model. Each era sort of has... A kind of a model that fits the the particular times. So you know there was the apprenticeship system in the in the Middle Ages and in the 19th century it was all about kind of individualism. I think like the hacker model sort of fits uh, what people how people should approach their careers in in that you sort of see what works. You try everything out. It's kind of trial and error. You learn by doing. You try out a, some cheesy hack. It works. You like it. You go from there. This didn't work. You get rid of it. You're exploring. You've got to have an open, adventurous, fearless spirit where you're exploring and seeing the things that interest and excite you. You've got the chance now with the internet to, to explore so many different um, avenues and areas of knowledge. You know, Take advantage of it something will come from it. You know, if you build the field, they will come or whatever that stupid cliche is. Yeah, that's it. It will happen. The opportunity... Okay, thank you. It'll come to you, but you have to... It won't come to you if you're not prepared. So when I was asked about that book in 1996, if I hadn't been building up skills as a writer and if I hadn't been studying history, it wouldn't have mattered. So you have to be prepared for those, those moments that might happen. Oh, it's a great point there because you, you, you were ready from, from where you were at. Now, you, you have a lot of examples in the book all across the board. You just mentioned one, well, you know, Paul Graham. You have everything from Napoleon to, you know, all these different types of people. Have you noticed amongst all of them or most of them, is there a consistent trait or traits um, that these people have that eventually lead them to be a master that we can all think, okay, is this something that I can acquire or, or you know, apply in my own life? Well, the, the main, the absolute, the absolute essential ingredient is the fact that you are genuinely excited by what the field that you're studying. Because you know about the 10,000 hours. My book's about the 20,000 right. hours. There's <laughs> right. no way you're going to reach 10,000 hours unless 
you have a love for it because it's going to be dull at times. There's going to be moments where you have to practice and learn skills or do something that's not that doesn't excite you. If you don't see that ultimate goal, if you're not really connected to it, you'll never have the patience to get that far. So all of these characters that I've studied, they all have that. They're passionately excited about what they're doing. The other thing is, is, is what I call a flexibility and adaptability of spirit. So there are several ways that this, this manifests itself. You learn in your apprenticeship years certain skills and things that people in, in, tell you this is how, how life should be done or you go to business school and they teach you about certain business models. And then you're out in the real world where you have to apply your knowledge. And if you're not adaptable, if you simply use what people tell you you should be doing, you're just going to be a cog in the wheel. And, and the great thing about mastery is that, you, that people who become masters are one of a kind. They, there's no other Steve Jobs in the world. You can't replace him ever. You can't replace a Paul Graham. There's only one Napoleon. So you want to be bringing that energy to the work that you have after you've gone through your apprenticeship. You need to experiment and try things out that kind of reflect your individual spirit. So you need to have a, an open, fluid, adaptable energy. So the times they're changing, you don't hold on to things that worked in the past, you move with the times, you're very conscious of, of what's happening in social media, etc. You're adaptable. You, you exploit opportunities that come your way. You're an opportunist. It's the people who are rigid, who think that they know everything by the time they're 23, who think that they're going to apply some simple formula. They're never going to become masters. They can become pretty good but they don't have that extra quality, that kind of fluid spirit. Interesting. And, and you mentioned the apprenticeship. You said that a few times. And that's a big subject in the book. Um, as you know, a lot of our community here at the Rise to the Top, we have got a lot of entrepreneurs of different shapes and sizes, a lot of internet entrepreneurs. And a lot of times right. they're, they're under that mentality of, I'm going to go out there and figure it out and da 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 and no, I'm just going to go down my own path and kind of figure this out. You have a very strong view towards apprenticeship. Um, can you explain a little bit yeah. why that's, that's very, very important and that we shouldn't be going down this quote-unquote journey by ourselves and just trying to do it that way? Well, you can go the journey by yourself, but you're going to, what will happen is you'll end up wasting a lot of valuable years of your youth. You're, you're, your real creative and period is in your late twenties and thirties, and if you start wasting time trying things that aren't, you know, three or four years go by, that's that's a shame, and 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 you're it's, you're going to pay a price for it. Um, the the thing about the apprenticeship is it it, it follows different different paths that they're not all the same, but the main thing is you want to be building up skills, and. It, it depends on what your your startup idea is, but it has to somehow, it can't come from nothing. It can't come from you're just sitting in your garage and you have an idea. There's not a single entrepreneur that's ever started out that way, from Steve Jobs to Paul Graham to Henry Ford to Thomas Edison. That's just not the way it happens. You have studied something very deeply. In Paul Graham's case, computer engineering and art. Uh, in Steve Jobs, it was electronics and it was design. He was obsessed with design and then, you know, he was able to suddenly bring that skill uh, with Apple. With Henry Ford, it was automobiles and engines. He spent years studying the design of engines. In fact, I consider Henry Ford the 
greatest example of an entrepreneur ever in history. Mm. A man who spent 10 years of his life studying engines and, and automobiles and all sorts of elements of, in mechanics. And then finally, he decides to start his automo own automobile company. It fails. He tries again. It fails again. And then he tries a third time, and he's able to apply all of his lessons. But if Henry Ford hadn't started with those years of studying engines, he, he, he would have never been able to design the right kind of automobile. So your tech startup or whatever it is that you want to be an entrepreneur and it has to be based on some kind of legitimate skill you have spent several years developing. Otherwise, it, it won't have any roots. It won't have any depth to it. You'll be learning too much as you do it and you'll be failing in too strong a way. It's okay to fail. Failure is a part of being an entrepreneur. But you have to have some kind of foundation to build on. So, you know, Paul Graham is the, uh, the master at it because his whole company, Y Combinator, is about incubating these great startups and the success he's had. And he doesn't like, he won't even bring in people that come in with their half-assed ideas, who have no skill level, who don't show any real desire or connection to what they're doing. He knows after thousands of, of people coming to his, his, his uh, company, he knows that that just doesn't work. So uh, the real model is, is building up skills and then building your, your, your startup from that foundation. Got it. And it's perfect because actually a lot of people that tune in to the rise to the top are rising experts in a lot of different areas as well. So they're not necessarily looking to build a big tech company. They're saying, hey, you know what? I know a lot about fitness and I'm going to make a brand around that. So it's a perfect example of right. what you just talked about there. Um, now, I, why do you mention these people in the book that have reached or even surpassed, if that's even possible, master level, right? Like where they're, they put in the 20,000 plus hours, they are dominating with it. What are some reasons that you've noticed that people don't quite get there, like pitfalls? Or why do some people, you know, not quite reach that there that we could maybe learn from so that we can become masters and not be one of those other percentage of people that don't quite make it? Well, the, the main thing that happens to people along the way, so you emerge from your apprenticeships phase, whatever, however long that was, and you start out with a business or an idea or you write a book or you make some music or a movie. And the real danger comes that there's some success that you have or you get some attention and you get emotional. And then it starts to become about your ego and about getting attention. And you lose contact with um, yourself and why you're doing this. Um, and you stop paying attention to things that are going on around you, how people's tastes are changing. Some of your luck, uh, some of your success might have been based a little bit on luck. And um, so if you're not, uh, if you're paying too much attention to what people think about you, if you don't have in internal standards that you can measure your own progress by, you're going to get derailed from this, pro this path to mastery. And you're going to start... Um, getting too involved in the kind of the ego stuff and success will spoil you. Um, you know, and, and so I look at someone like a, um, Steve Jobs. He's not in the book because at the time I was writing it, I, it was not, it was impossible to get him in, but I've studied him since. Um, and he had, um, obviously his first apprentice, I call his years at Apple as his apprenticeship, his first gig there. Uh, and, then starts, yeah. 
and he starts his company next and it's pretty much a colossal failure um, there are two things that could happen from that from that path at that point um, he could have been kind of you know depressed by by the failure and he could have taken the wrong path or he could have realized the mistakes that he had made and he could have realized that his management style wasn't quite right and that he had to be a different kind of leader and he had to sort of change his ideas and adapt those are the kinds of people when you have failure and setbacks or you have success you're able to sort of assess the element of luck what you really did that was right or wrong and then adapt and move on to the next phase so particularly when you're young having major failure or success is generally what will derail people from this path oh interesting so failure or success very interesting now i want to shift gears you just mentioned the word success and i want to talk a, a little bit about you robert and and some of the things that people might not know i love asking successful people like yourself a little bit about your story yeah um you know what for you um what would you put if you were to categorize your keys to success so far, um, especially in this in this book publishing writing uh, world, what what are some of your personal keys that you think have led to success? Well, um, you know, I, I, it's sort of what I talked about earlier. In that, uh, I feel like um, there, I, I'm a bit of an oddball. I'm not like um, other people, right? So I don't really, in, in truth, it was a problem. I don't really fit anywhere. Mm. I don't fit into any neat categories. Um, I'm interested in writing. I'm interested in history. I'm interested in popular culture. Um, you name it. And so what, what was the key to my success was staying true to my oddballness, to not trying to be like Tim Ferriss or Neil Strauss or Malcolm Gladwell, all great writers, but I, I don't want to be like anybody else. So when I wrote my first book, if you're familiar with The 48 Laws yeah. of Power, there's no other book, you can hate it or love it, but there's no other book like it. Right. In the structure, in the design, in the material on the sides, in the images, and the whole way it's the stories that are told. And I had a lot of pressure from people saying, this book is too strange. Why don't you change it, make it more like a, nor a normal book? And I refused. And after that book, Instead of writing 48 Laws of Power Part 2, I decided to go off into the direction of seduction because it interests me. And then I went into warfare and strategy. And then I'm always looking to do things that excite me and interest me where I can bring my own weirdness into it and not feel like I'm just doing something for money or to make a quick buck or to follow what somebody else did. It's not easy and, uh, you know, I could have failed. I could have the first book could have bombed, and who knows what would have happened. But I can guarantee you that I would not have any of the success or have the, you know, the particular brand of books that I have if I hadn't pretty much stayed true to my what I think is my my what makes me unique. You know. Yeah, that, that's super interesting, and I think that's great advice for anyone that's putting anything out there is to find that unique right. voice because sometimes you know we become fans of people, right, and that fandom or whatever you want to call it um, starts being reflected in your own work whether it's right. videos or writing or or you know websites or whatever you end up sort of emulating some of the people as opposed to owning who you are which I see right. is a little bit of a challenge now also um, in terms of your successes I mean these books have been wildly successful I've, I just saw a number on 
48 laws of power, and I can't remember what it was, like the amount of millions that have been sold. We'll just call it 10 billion. We'll round up. Um, is is have you had a point along the journey of uh, being a writer and, and being an author and, and finding your groove here where there was like an important shift that you made? Like you were going this path and you, went, you, you made a little bit of a left or a right turn that then led you down uh, a more successful path. Um, no. You know, what happens, I think it happens to a lot of people, is you, you need the negative experience to show you what you really want to do. Paul Graham talked to me about that. He learned from, after, after he graduated Harvard, he went into consulting, software consulting, and he learned everything that he hated, and, he, and, that, and then he incorporated everything he hated about that into what he likes, which is the Y Combinator. He hated the fact that the sales group ran the, the company and basically determined what would be developed next. He hated the politicking. He hated the, that the company was located in the suburbs. I had the same thing. I learned by what I hated. I got into journalism. It didn't fit me. I, I didn't like the fact that I write something and, and it only lasted for one week and then it was replaced. I, it, it bothered me. Then I got into film and television. I didn't like the schmoozy, everything is wonderful world and the fact that a writer has no control over what he produces. You know, you write something and then 20 other people like pile on you like in a football, you know, game and, and they just change everything and then they put their name on it and you, you have no integrity, you don't have no pride. It's just, I hated it. Okay, now I'm given a chance for a book and wow, okay, I can write something that lasts more than a week. I don't have 20 other people who are going to pile on and change everything. I don't have that schmoozy, ugly political atmosphere. God, yeah, this is for me. This is, this is heaven. So by having those negative experiences and be willing to go through it and see the frustration, I learned what the right path is. And I think the, the lesson, if there is one, is you can't be afraid to make these mistakes, to follow, follow a wrong path. You, you have to have some pain and some suffering before you're actually going to find out what really fits. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And what's also interesting is that what you seem to be able to do very, very well is be able to, for lack of a better term, sort of go with the flow and be able to adjust in certain ways. So let me give you an example, right? Is that when the 50th law came out, uh, that was a collaboration between you and 50 Cent. And right. for people that don't know, um, your works have really, really been embraced by many different types of communities. But one of them that you would be like, okay, that's interesting, is the hip-hop. The, the, the rap yeah. community loves – they yeah. lo Who knew? Who knew that, that the hip-hop community was going to embrace this stuff? Right. When you discovered this – and I don't even – I don't Lord knows how it happened. But let's just <laughs> – when you discovered this, you could have probably gone a couple different ways. You could have said, you know what? You know – that's interesting. I'm going to forget about that. Or right. that's interesting. Let's embrace this and go with it. Um, right. You know, wh why did you decide to actually like talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's such an interesting subject where I have a feeling this was not necessarily on your brain when you started, but I could be wrong. Absolutely not. I mean, um, I, I, I love hip hop. I grew up with it more from the 80s and early 90s. Um, but I can't say that I was like some fanatic for it or anything like that. So it caught me by surprise. Um, and you, you're, you're basically right. So in 2005, 2006, I got contacted by 50 Cent's people 
and they wanted to have a meeting with me, and I had no idea what it's about. But, you know, I, of course I want to meet him. Who wouldn't want to meet him? It was a very exciting meeting in the back room of a of a steakhouse in Manhattan. It, it kind of was like something out of The Sopranos. I, you know, I, this one white guy and there's 50 with <laughs> right. entourage. I'm picturing, I'm, this, I'm picturing this scene. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, maybe a little intimidated. I didn't know what to expect, you know. Um, but he was like the nicest person. We got along really well. Though I'm not a person that's into celebrity. I just have to admit, I, I, I find movie stars incredibly boring. I'm not interested in them. You know, they can go wherever. I, I have no interest. So I really wasn't interested in 50 as a celebrity, but as a person, as a phenomenon, as someone who came from the bottom of America, from the absolute bottom you can find, and got to where he is, man, what a story. It's like Napoleon. It's it's like all of the people I've covered, but in real life. So I had never planned for to write this book, but when the chance came and I explored it and I sort of saw the possibilities and and I learned who he was, I thought, this is great, so go with it. That's what I said earlier. If you have a rigid plan about what your life is and what you want to write about, you're, you're not going to be a master. You're, you've got to have that, I'm not saying that I am, but you have to have that fluid, adaptable spirit where you're an opportunist. And I make the point in the mastery that human beings, going back six million years ago, we are the supreme opportunists in nature. That's what made us who we are. That's how we found out this, are, this is a rock that could turn into a weapon, right? That's how we made hunting into, a, into a, the skill that we have. It's who we are. We're opportunists. That's who you are as a, as a person of power, a mastery entrepreneur. You're a supreme opportunist, and whatever crosses your path, you exploit to the maximum, and you have no preconceived notions of what those opportunities can be. I love it. I love it. And that's, I think, a great point that we'll kind of kind of leave it on here, Robert. This has been super interesting today. I think people are going to get a lot of great information out of this. Uh, the new book is Mastery. I believe the official publication date for those playing at home is, I want to say, November 13th. Um, so that'll be out and ready to go. Um, one, a couple final thoughts on the book. Um, you know, uh, any other thoughts are for people that are considering picking this up, what they can expect, and you know, maybe it's someone that's new to your writing too, and they're in for a fun surprise here. Uh, what do you have to say about those types of people that are uh, looking to check this out? Well, um, I mean, two things. It's it's um, a lot of material that's going to inspire you, so that it's, I make it clear that it's, it's anything anybody can do. And, and one of the people I profile in it is Temple Grandin, who was born autistic. She became a master. If someone born with autism can become a master, it's open, it's accessible, a power to anyone. I'm going to inspire you to follow that path, and I'm going to give you a very detailed roadmap on how to do it. That a roadmap that transcends your field, that shows you how to learn, how to work with masters, how to work with other people, how to develop your own natural creativity. It's very detailed. So that's what you can expect. I have a website, powerseductionandwar.com. The and is A-N-D. Yep, and we're going to link that up. We're going to link that up below in the show notes. Make sure everyone checks that out and goes over there. Well, the main thing is uh, if you order, you can pre-order the book, and you're going to, and if you do so, you're going to get some goodies that we've put okay, together. Cool. Um, some things I wrote 
that are exclusively for people who pre-order the book. All right, awesome. So power, uh, powerseductionandwar.com, we're going to link that up. And I cool. do want to just have a little little side note here on this is that people that have not are not familiar with your writing, they're going to love it. I mean, I, I just love the style. And you mentioned this earlier when you were talking about one of your key to success has been to embrace your weirdness and your uniqueness. Yeah. And it comes through, and I mean that as the highest possible compliment. <laughs> so, so, Robert, uh, thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast today. Thank you so much for having me, David. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. This was Robert Green on The Rise to the Top. If you want more shows like this, directly to your email, go to therisetop.com slash VIP. Enter that email. Join in the conversation below. I'll see you next time. I'm David Seitman-Garland. And remember, if you want some fluff, you know what to do. Go pet a bunny. And once again, one more quick reminder. Make sure to check out today's sponsor that brought this episode with Robert Green for you without any interruptions or shenanigans. Head over to gotomeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, enter the promo code RISE for 45 days free on me. Meet from anywhere, meet from your iPad, meet with the freaking webcam on, do all that jazz. Make sure to check it out at gotomeeting.com.